Welcome to Vineyard Brisbane West podcast. It's great to have you with us. In this series, we dive deeper into the narratives we hold about God. Narratives play a fundamental role in forming our identity, both for the positive or the negative. So join us over the coming weeks as we explore the character of God displayed in the life and mission of Jesus. So, the good and beautiful God. I have the uh, task of putting the opposite bookend in the one that Joe started, which was um, nine weeks ago. But essentially what we've been doing is we've been exploring the narratives about God, right? So narrative, 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 story, story, story. But essentially we've been looking at what we believe God to be like in his character. So we've looked at um, eight topics Joe introduced us to the narratives of Jesus and uh, we had a look at God as good and God being trustworthy, God is generous, God is love, holy, self-sacrificing and God transforms, right? Jordan asked me today, is God a transformer? Because he was reading my, right? So not a transformer in in which we understand the movies or the toys, Um, So I get the joy of concluding it with kind of our ninth thing. And I've coined it, God is not done yet, right? Um, So the good and beautiful God is not done yet. Everyone remember this diagram? We've seen it a few times. And uh, if we look at the diagram, Joe was the one who introduced it to us. Um, And essentially what you may not have realised just yet is that if we engage in these four elements of adapting the narratives of Jesus, engaging in soul training, participating in community and partnering with the Holy Spirit, these are the ingredients for authentic transformation, right? And we learnt when I taught on self-sacrificing, a God that's self-sacrificing, there's also a counter-narrative going around at the moment that doesn't include these things. It's you can self-actualize. You can do it. It comes out of yourself. But Jesus says, well, actually, no, it doesn't, right? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to dig into the participating in community section. And uh, we've been running a small group that you could join over the last few weeks. And um, what we're hoping at some point is that we might continue to do that. How we do that, we'll see. Right, so there's no promises in there, but for many of us, I think we've, we've really enjoyed that space, right, for those who have who've been there? Right. So where can we find all of these four elements together? We can find it in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13. If you'd like to go there, you can, but I've put it up there so you can uh, read along with us. So I'll give you a little bit of context before we jump into it. Um, So the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians, right? A a group of Jesus people, essentially. And it was written to a series of people who gathered in houses. Okay, So they don't necessarily gather in a church or a synagogue. Um, It was kind of house churches. 
And it was written uh, by Paul in Corinth somewhere around 50 to 51 AD. Okay, So not too long after the death of Jesus. So it's pretty fresh in many ways. Now Paul says to them this, he says, but we always owe God a debt of gratitude for you, right? My family beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits of salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and the belief of the truth. To this he has called you through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. So how's this got to do with community and participating in community, right? Paul says something very interesting here. Straight off, he says, my family, which is you guys, right? The beloved of the Lord. So this particular statement is a statement of identity. And so why does Paul address identity before he talks about the other things that he's about to talk about? Well, if you do some research on Thessalonica, the city was established 400 years before the writing of Paul. Okay, so Brisbane hasn't been established for 400 years. Give you a context, right? So quite an old city that's well established over a long period of time. Um, what we see is that, I think I've got a, uh, oh yeah, I've got a chart, a map that worked. Um, right. So this is Paul's second ministry journey, all right? Just to give you the context, started in Antioch, travelled, followed the arrow, the Google Maps of the day, and ended up at Thessalonica. So it's at the bottom, basically, of modern-day Macedonia, just so everyone knows kind of where we are, right? So travel to the end of the, the last dot on the map, and that's where Paul's, who's Paul's writing to. Now, what I've learnt, thank you, N.T. Wright, is that it was a tax haven, right? So what happens in tax havens? Yeah. Lots of stuff. Everything happens, right? Dodgy stuff, basically, all right? So it was a tax haven, and it was steeped in Greco-Roman culture, right? Now, if you read further into 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, what you see is that Paul is giving them theological input in parts. But really what he's doing is he's saying to them, hey, this is how you live as Jesus people in a city where no one wants to know about Jesus, right? What happens is they find themselves uh, at, really in a melting pot of Greek culture and thinking, but it's also got large Jewish influences, right? And so Really, Paul's letters is saying, hey, this is how the Jesus people, this is how we live, this is how you should live in a city where, well, anything goes and everything's available, right? So it's like living in the internet, basically. So Paul says this. Now, we have to remember too that Paul is the founding pastor, so he's not a nobody to them, right? He's the guy who's planted the church and has done the hard work. So this is a personal letter that we just get to kind of dock into and read. But this is what he says. You are a family of Jesus people, so identify just as Jesus did. 
as the beloved of the Father, right? That's where he starts. That's his opening statement here. So why should they identify as the beloved? Well, he goes on to say, because God has chosen them to be the first fruits of salvation, right? That's the why. So what appears interesting to me as I read this is that even in Paul's time, humanity seems to be looking really deeply to identify themselves in something, right? And I think if you've looked around, you've been on the internet and social media and the news essentially today is that the same narrative, the same deep longing is burning in people's hearts, trying to identify with something, right? And Paul says something here that when we dig deeper is really important that can apply to us, even though we're not Greek or Roman or Jew. This is what he says. You can't identify yourselves as Greek, Roman, Jew, Macedonian, male, female, slave, master, or in our case, like Bronco supporter, uh, entrepreneur, Melbourne cricket ground member, right? You can't identify with those titles because there's something deeper going on as in this community, right? Now, we know from recent scholarship that the group of people at Thessalonica, the Jesus people there, they were actually persecuted quite heavily, right? Both by the Jews and the Romans, right? So they were the outcasts living in a city there where everything and everything goes, okay? So there was no rules really about how they were to be treated. They could be treated really, really badly. But Paul adds something deeper here. He says to them, he says, you shouldn't even come under the identity in which other people label you. Now, what the, they were labelling them at the time was followers of Jesus, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with following Jesus, but what Paul's saying here is there's something deeper that we have to grab onto here, right? You need to identify yourself the way that God sees you, right? And that is... Are beloved. You are the beloved of the Lord, and you've been chosen as the first fruits of his salvation. Right? So just let that sink in for a second. We often identify ourselves in what we do, or what sporting club we follow, right? And these are all okay things. But underneath it all, we actually access identity out of them. Right. Some of us even do it in following Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. That's my identity. Well, Paul says, okay, that's great, but that's not the way the Father sees you, right? He sees you as the beloved, as a son or daughter, right? Not just a follower. You're part of the family business, right? So Paul is saying two things here. He's saying, Humanity has a deep-seated need, every human being does, to identify and be identified with something, right? We need to belong. We need to belong in a group. We need to belong within a group. We need to be called alongside another for a bigger purpose. 
But the second thing he says here is that if humans are allowed to identify with something, right, identify themselves, they will always label themselves less than God labels them. Right? So you can see that going on at the moment. I identify as, add a pronoun to the end of that. Right? That's the narrative at the moment. How do you identify? You need to acknowledge the way I identify myself. Well, Paul's saying, actually, it's a lesser label than what God calls you to. You're a beloved of the Father. So I want to say there's nothing wrong with being a Bronco supporter, okay? being a member of the MCG or, or whatnot. Nothing wrong with that. God created that stuff and it's good. But we have to be very, very careful that we don't come under the labels that's less than what God has called us up to, right? So as Jesus people, Paul is saying, your Australianness isn't what you live out. Your directness, your teacherness, your musicalness, your politicalness, right? Now we engage in those things, but that's not who we are. We are the beloved of the Father, okay? So Paul uses an interesting term. He says, you are the first fruits of his salvation. Now this is a, an agricultural term, right? Not like a we use agriculture two ways, you know, that, like, man, they, that guy's car's a little bit agricultural, right? It means there's bits missing off it and stuff. That's not what Paul's meaning here. Um, it's an agricultural term that he's using here to explain God's family. So we're going to just dig into that a minute. What Paul is saying here is if we can just pause and imagine, what is the first fruit of salvation? Now, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you guys when I say first fruits? Tithing. It's usually the first thing, right? Grab out your wallets. We're going to put the first fruits in, right? It's largely where we hear it. But what he's doing is he's saying, your God, your Father, is actually the creator and the author and he's at work at something. He's farming something in because it's an agricultural term. He's been tilling, he's been planting, he's been watering, fertilising, and he's harvesting something, right, among you, not just as individuals, but as a group, a community. So whether you realise it or not, you're actually in the farming business. God's in the farming business. And he's looking for a harvest. Now, when I say first fruits and harvest, most people think tithing, input, and output, right? I tithe this amount, I get that much back in blessing, okay? And that's not the context of what Paul is talking about here. What Paul is saying is God's hard at work so that a harvest comes out of the individuals in his family, but also the family itself. So what does it mean for us? Well, it means that God's been farming in your life, 
What does that mean? Let's have a look. God's actually been working with fruitfulness in mind. Even when you were an enemy of his. So think it through for a moment. If God's a farmer, then what it means is the good and beautiful God has been at work ever since Adam and Eve, right? To bring about eternal life back to his humanity and also to restore his creation, right? So he's been busy, if we're honest. It's a few generations, yeah, right? Well, that work is still happening with you and me individually, but it is also happening with us collectively, right? So in this passage, Paul is reminding them, hey, you guys, family, you have been welcomed into, you've arrived in God's loving family and it's not by an accident. God's been working to have you a part of his family ever since the beginning of time. Now, you didn't arrive here by your efforts, Sometimes that's hard for us to swallow. You're here, however, because of God's great love and he's been tilling and planting and watering and fertilising in every single generation and also for you in this generation. So this is the community in which you and I have been born into, right? And it's the community that we get to participate in. So if we go to the next slide... Paul says, a bit further, he says, through sanctification by the Spirit. That's a fancy word and I'll explain that in a minute. And the belief of the truth, it is to this that he has called you, through the gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus with two S's, sorry about that, the Messiah. It's a special Jesus. Jesus should have three in there probably. Right. So here's what Paul's saying. As the beloved, right? Do you guys catch you're the beloved? You're not just a bunch of nobodies that, right? We, this church is not just a bunch of nobodies. We are the beloved of the Lord, right? So we've got to really get our fingertips on this one because it changes everything. So as the beloved, as Jesus' people, our lives are to be marked, right? Highlighted, in other words. Grab your favourite colour highlighter and highlight it. To be marked by two things. We are to be sanctified, which essentially means to be set apart for holy things, right? Now, sometimes when you get a new cooking utensil, and you put it in the drawer. Every time you go into the drawer and you go to take the cooking utensil out, you look at it and you think, oh, it's brand new. Is now the time to use it? No, I'll just use the other one, right? How often have you done that? Buy new plates, leave them in the cupboard, open the cupboard, look at them and think, at some point I'll use those things. Some point. No? Clothes, okay. I can't say I do it with clothes. Or who's the opposite? Who buys the new thing and cracks it out and says, I'm making something straight away to use this thing? Yeah, great, all right. So it's good. You guys have the concept that you're set apart to be used, right? Not set aside 
for another time. And quite often when we talk about this kind of thing of sanctification, it's like the holy thing that gets set to the side. Right? But that's not the image of what Paul's saying here. He's saying the holy thing that gets used, right? Gets in the mix of things. It's, right? it's involved in the process. We're engaging it. And the second thing he says, we are to adopt the narratives of truth. Okay, So this whole series has been about, do you believe that God is good when your life stinks at the moment? Do you believe He's trustworthy when other people have ripped you off because they said they were Christians or the pastor of a church or something, right? Have you attributed them to God? Is God generous when you've got no money in your bank? Right? There's poverty around where you are. Is God self-sacrificing? Those kinds of things. They're the things we've been looking at. These are the narratives of truth. How does God serve us in our lives? So, the God that we serve is trustworthy and he is good and he is generous and he is loving, he is holy, he is self-sacrificing. The interesting thing about it is the self-sacrificing part is the very reason that you and I sit here today. Okay, that there, that is self-sacrifice. That's love, holiness, generosity. It's the whole lot in one symbol. He's in the transformation business. Right? The farming business. Now, when you're a farmer, you buy a block of land, but the land's no good to you if you don't plant something. Okay? If you're a farmer and you go to the seed shop and you buy the seed and you leave it in the barn, the seed's no good to you in the barn. You buy a tractor and don't put fuel in it, it's no good to you, right? There's an activation process is really what I'm trying to say here. God activates something in us which transforms what was into something that becomes a harvest, right? So here's the good news. We are participating in a community of transformation. So if you've been here 10 years and you haven't changed, what's happened? I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just asking the question, okay? If you've been farming for 10 years and you haven't had a harvest, what's happened? Right? God is transforming us through His Holy Spirit. And He's transforming us to look exactly like Him. To be generous. That means I get my wallet out. Yep, that's what it means. It's not your money anyway. Right? It's God's money. He's gifted it to you your job to then gift it to others. What about loving? Oh, I don't like those people. Yeah, well, God given his love for you and you got to give it away. That's how this works, right? He's trustworthy. Oh, but people aren't trustworthy. I can't trust them. But you can trust God, right? And you can trust him to lead you and when it's good to trust and when you've got to exercise some caution. That's okay. That's wisdom. God is self-sacrificing. Let's be honest, nobody liked that message, okay? No one walked out of here when I taught that a couple of weeks ago and went, oh, I feel so uplifted. I feel like I could just listen to that on repeat all week, 
okay? The point was it, it really challenged us because we've just come out of a season where we've been encouraged to keep all of us to us, right? Social distancing, masks, right? Keep yourself self-sufficient, close to self. Stay away from someone else's self, right? But God is self-sacrificing for us. And these are the truths about God. And they're displayed in the life, and if you've listened to the podcast, and mission of Jesus. So family, guess what? This is our calling from Paul. You are the beloved. And yet, there are many of us here that sit here and authentically hate parts of ourselves. So it means that we haven't harvested God's truth in that part of our life, right? It's okay. But God's not done yet, right? He's called us and he will transform us. Here's the controversial bit of this message. If I've offended you already, then hold on tight. There's one key element that we can't miss in all of this. Paul says that there's no transformation that can take place without God's Holy Spirit. Now, If we adopt the narratives of Jesus, we go back to this, we can adopt the narratives of Jesus and we can engage in soul training and we can participate in community, right? But if we leave the Holy Spirit out of all of these processes, no transformation takes place. The Spirit of God is the thing that empowers all of this transformation, right? So with Paul's encouragement, he's saying, transformation, be sanctified, right? Get in the mix because the Spirit of God is transforming you to be in the mix, right? You are sanctified by the Spirit And this is really how I want to conclude the session. What are your narratives about the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit a thing? Is it a power, strange power that arrives on people and does strange things? Come on, we need to be really honest about this because... Transformation doesn't take place without the Holy Spirit. So what you think about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works directly affects your transformation. And it affects our transformation as a community, right? So if the Holy Spirit is some strange force that is uncomfortable to you, that you're happy to leave on the side, then You'll just do this for the next 10 years and not much will change. Now, that was a bit heavy. 
I'll tell you the story about when I arrived at a vineyard and I'll make you feel a little bit better. Okay. I arrived at this vineyard, which was in the school just across the road. As a young 19-year-old guy at the request of Michael and Joe, I had left church and I had left God, right? Turns out it wasn't his plan. He was still tilling and planting and watering and fertilising. And I arrive at church. Michael had said to me, come on, man, you need to check this out. I'm like, no, I'm done with the church gig. Thank you for the invitation. Somebody else maybe. And he's like, nah, it's different. And I'm like, nah, it's the same, right? <laughs> I've been to one church. I've been to them all. And I arrive at church, and for those of you who remember, there was a pastor standing at the front, looked like Santa Claus, had no shoes on, right? Looked like he was due to go surfing rather than teach a message. And I was like, okay, maybe I haven't known anything about the way these guys do church. I'm super sceptical. Okay, worship leader who turned out to be Scotty McQuaker. I don't know what he was wearing, but it was very, very little amount of clothes, right? <laughs> and he's up there singing these songs to Jesus that I'd never heard about, right? And Graham taught on the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, right over at the end of it, come, let's stand and we'll invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I stood there and I felt this very strange sensation land on my skin. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done, goodbye, grabbed my keys, walked straight out the door, got in the car, turned it on and drove away. First experience of the Holy Spirit in my life and I ran away from it. I had no grid for the Spirit of God being God Himself. Up until this point, this was the very first moment that I had experienced God. I've been in church my whole life, played drums in church every weekend from when I was very little to when I quit church. And this was the first time I met God. And my first response was, I can't cope with this. And then someone introduced me weeks after and said, you know, this is God resting on you. I'm like, well, I wish he wouldn't. <laughs> okay. And so if you've heard Putty Putman's story, he was in a vineyard for four years, right, standing at the back judging everyone, just pouring hate on what God was doing in people. Ah, oh, they're crazy. Oh, they got this going on. They got that going on. Well, for me, it was nearly two years where I arrived. And then at the end of the service, I left when the come Holy Spirit came, right? And the thing was, is because no one told me that that was God Himself looking to rest upon you to show you that you are the beloved, okay? And from my childhood, that was traumatic. A God that could love so deeply, I understand that, I've read that in a book, but a God that could touch you so deeply, oh, I'm not so interested in that because I can't put it somewhere, right? What grid do I put on this? How do I apply it? So it turns out that this year is 20 years, right? <laughs> it will almost be 21 years that I walked into a vineyard. And what I want to say to you is that this starts at the beloved part, right? And it never ends at the beloved part. It never ends there. It always starts there and we always come back to that bit. 
And so what I want to do now is I want to ask you genuinely, what is your narrative of the Holy Spirit? What is your narrative of God's presence here amongst us? Do you invite the Holy Spirit to come and rest on your heart and on your mind and on your body? Or have you got some narratives about the Holy Spirit that he just does crazy stuff and if, he, if I let him too close, I'm going to be on the floor and demons are going to be coming out of me and, you know, all these really bad things that you may have seen on TV or heard other people kind of explain. The thing that the Holy Spirit does is he establishes the beloved in you. And so if you say no to the Holy Spirit, you don't access what it feels like to be the beloved of the Father. So you can do soul training exercises and you can adopt the narratives of Jesus and and you can participate in community. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't catch that you're the beloved. Some of us are still running. Took me two years, putty four years. Some of us are still running. And what I want to say to you is, let's just pause a minute. Because this is where being Jesus people, this is where this starts, right? As the beloved of the Father. And we can see it in Jesus, but we experience through God's manifest presence, His Holy Spirit. So how do we conclude the Good and Beautiful God series? By inviting God himself. Through the salvation work of Jesus, we invite his spirit to come upon us. Can we lay down our narratives about how God does what God does? Can we do that? And can we allow the Holy Spirit in this moment to come and rest upon us as the beloved? Now, there are some of us here in this room that believe that the Holy Spirit stopped working after the apostles and after the establishment of the early church. This is called cessationism. And it is far more prevalent than we realise. The central theology of it is that the Spirit of God came, established the Scriptures which we have, and then therefore we don't need the Spirit of God anymore and somehow he's gone on holidays to Golden Beach or somewhere nice like that. And at some point, the Spirit of God will turn back up when Jesus does. So the question I have for you is that is that your narrative? Is that what you've been told? And if that's what you've been told, what I want to offer you tonight is the opportunity for the Spirit of God to speak for himself. Right? Now, if we go to the opposite end of the spectrum, if you come from a Pentecostal background, which I did, what you'll get is that the Spirit of God's this crazy 
force that blows in through the door, knocks everyone over, they start speaking in all these different languages, you come out completely crazy and hyped up. Right? And then blows out the other door (laughs) and you hope that you can make it to the next conference so that you can see the Spirit of God do it again. It becomes trying to inject this kind of Holy Spirit high in you all the time. And you can't be low otherwise, right? God's not really God and God's not really good. But that's not the picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not a thing. It's a person. It's God's manifest presence. It's God Himself amongst us. So what's your narrative of the Holy Spirit?